Welcome to the show, Brain Health, Unchaining Your Pain. I am really delighted to be joined by the wonderful Dr. Sarah Whedon over from the US. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're most welcome. And I know you. we've been connected for quite some time now. I was looking back on my, my emails and um, I'm really excited to learn about your brain health journey and what got you interested in brain health and the work that you're doing now but before we start for those that don't know Dr Sarah Whedon um, she's combined her years of experience with working with patients her love of co-creating new strategies forward and her experience being raised with a parent in the corporate world to help organizations help employees with brain optimization she believes you don't have to wait until you're retired to live a fulfilled and expansive life Contrary to popular belief, she believes we can individualise wellness, I totally agree, in organisations without an unrealistic budget and says the results are far more reaching than what was previously anticipated. And I think this is such an important topic of conversation because we rarely hear people talking about the brain in the context of performance in organisations. It's very much uh, separate between brain health or, or mental health and, and what we see in the context of employee performance? What's what's your experience? Well, I think we use buzzwords quite a bit. So I think when we actually get down to brass tacks, I think the larger question is why are employees having such a hard time staying engaging, mm-hmm. even though they want to? And why are employers having such a hard time grasping the concept that they need different than what they're currently maybe experiencing in the workplace. But, uh, you know, when wellness strategies were implemented into corporations, it really was as a money-saving venture. And Mm -hmm. really, through my own personal experience, I've seen that really that we're missing the complete mark on that. And we're actually slowing, we're actually like hindering ourselves from doing what it is that companies, people are capable of doing. So 100%, we're limiting ourselves from doing what we need to do. And I think it needs to change. Mm-hmm. And that, I'd love to hear your story because I know that you've obviously grown up in with a parent working in the corporate world. What got you interested in brain health in the first place, if you could take us on, on a journey through your life? Well, I had uh, very supportive parents and my dad being in the corporate space. I'm from Metro Detroit. So obviously that's, Mo- uh, that's uh, you know, Motown and that's where Motor City is. And uh, so, you know, all of my friends were getting new cars every six months because we had to company lease cars. You know, we had the latest and greatest. Um, and my parents told me, you should be whatever you want to be in this life, um, but you can't go into automotive. <laughs> Partially because I watched my dad not struggle. He actually thrived in the automotive industry. He did very well for himself and really, you know, showed me what a leader could be. Uh, but over the years, between the travel and, you know, the ongoing uh, stress of being in the corporate environment, um, you know, you, you start to see things, health changes, attitude mm-hmm. changes, sleep patterns start to change. And, you know, for someone who wanted to be a great parent, who wanted to show up for, you know, us when he wasn't working, uh, you know, it was always a challenge, right? Because there was always something new at work that needed to get done. And so as I got older, you know, I knew I wanted to go into the health space. And it wasn't until my mom ended up getting sick while my dad was working and ended up passing away that really it started to change my whole paradigm of what it is, what is it that people are doing in corporate? Why are we missing the mark on how people can effectively show up in corporations? And why is it we're trying to pretend like life isn't happening on a personal level for them at some point? Um, You know, I've had friends of mine who have lost children. I've had, I've obviously lost my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, their spouse lost their job. You know, there's so many things that happen in life that you can't plan for. And when you walk into the corporate space, oftentimes I think we're aware of it. You know, you're aware that people are functioning and grieving or trying to uh, bring their best self to work when they haven't slept very well. And I just think they don't have to be as separate as they are. I think humanizing the process of being at work and having people want to work for you and want to do their best job, even if they're 100% today is different than it was yesterday. I I think is admirable, to be honest with you. I think we undervalue the idea that people are showing up to corporations and they want to work and do better. Mm. And I think, think, you know, obviously working myself in the corporate space and having experienced the dark side of it, 
and the expectation at the time that I was there that you leave your, you leave your personal life at the door uh, and you're walking in with this new persona and you and you and you can't necessarily feel that you can be vulnerable about the personal issues that are going on in in light of the fact you may worry and that that was my case that it may reflect badly on you in the workplace and may people may see you as less than or weaker uh, than than other people is it do you think that has shifted um since covid or do you think we're still experiencing this expectation that people leave their personal life at the door well i mean the joke at the beginning of the pandemic was people were business from the waist up and they were pajamas from the waist down so i mean a lot of people have played on the idea that i think overnight we change the way we do business. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say, I think we probably have found a new a middle ground. I think we got a little too casual during the pandemic. I think being in the corporate space, being in the environment every day probably was a little too rigid. Um, you know, it's a lot of the big businesses around here, you know, are working from home now. And what once was a huge headquarters for automotive is now, they're now working out of one exclusive wing. So I think that, uh, you know, a good example is I, I have a gentleman I work with. He oversees a bunch of the um, lines for, for automotive mm -hmm. in one of the industries. And, uh, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, are you taking time to eat lunch? Uh, something as simple as eating lunch. And he says, well, you know, I try to. And I said, OK, give me an example. And he's like, well, say, for instance, I bring a sub for lunch today or I brought it yesterday. I said, OK. He said, it will take me two hours to eat my lunch from interruptions, from people needing things on an emergency basis, um, crisis managing things that came up last minute, team managing things that could have been problem solved the day before. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, like I had said, I think it's a larger conversation. This man wants to show up and do a great job at work. You know, your brain doesn't function optimally when you're constantly problem solving things that you could have proactively led your team to come to the conclusion on. So, you know, even from a basic standpoint of brain optimization, how do we do that when there's a calm environment? I think we're missing the larger picture of how does everybody's day not start with a crisis and end with a crisis and then you do it all again the next day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. And, uh, I, you know, in light of um, your your background and also what you do now is you're also a chiropractor. That's correct, isn't it? I what, am. What would you Absolutely. say is your passion right now in the context of of what you do? What What really fires you up and gets you out of bed? You know, I think we overcomplicate brain health um, with a little bit of support and some reinforcement, I think that people really have the opportunity to be the best version of themselves right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things I watched my dad struggle with while he was working in corporate, although supported by the industry he was in, you know, he got ample days off if he needed to be away, obviously, to help us. You know, company was great. But, mm -hmm. you know, watching him rebound after my mom passed away, you know, you're a different person, you know, you need tools and ways to show up and maybe some support, whether it's supplements, whether it's chiropractic, whether it's, you know, um, other tools that you can use in the moment. I think one of my favorite things right now is that in the moment on this call right now, if I were overwhelmed, stressed, panicking, feeling just not myself, that I, there are tools that you can use to bring yourself back. I could be in the middle of a presentation and I could be like, wow, you know, doc, Dr. Ruth is just really overwhelming me. And I, and either you bring yourself back and mm -hmm. you're going to have a great presentation or it's going to go the other direction. And I think that's one of the things that we don't do a great job of empowering people to do that they have autonomy over themselves in the moment with the right tools to turn a very stressful situation into a manageable one. And I think that's really important that we give people those tools because it's like you say, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with your own emotions, particularly if you're bringing some of your personal life into the workplace, which we all do, <laughs> whether we want to or not. Um, and they're giving yourself that permission to to calm to calm down. And I know for me personally, recently, I, I work in the corporate space as well is. I was having a conversation with the team that I was working with in in the workplace and shared the vulnerable my vulnerabilities and the story of 
of my personal struggles and and said look it's okay to not be okay and if you need to take time out then take the time out because it's much better to give yourself that pause like you say having that lunch break uh, and having that really downtime that me time so that when you've got the we time you can be on your a game and you're not on your b or c or z game or z game <laughs> as it is in the in the states well one of the things that you bring up a great point on is you don't really know when extending a kindness or a grace or a courtesy to someone else, whether it's at the grocery store or in the corporate space or to your boss or to someone that, you know, you lead. You just don't know what that ripple effect starts to have. Yeah. And, you know, you extending grace to someone who's having a really bad day starts to open the door for them to start extending grace. And I think you have to be in the right organization for this to happen. Not every organization is interested in this right now. I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's bad. But if you're going to help employees optimize their brains and you're really going to start this culture of helping people be the best version of themselves, this has to be part of the conversation. Mm. You know, what? what is the challenge that we're facing right now? How do we work through it? And how do we extend some grace that we don't have a bunch of robots walking around the office? I, You know, asking how your day's going, you know, goes a long way. Actually caring about people. Um, I think that's one of the things that, you know, you had mentioned previously, sometimes we have to stifle down how we feel, how we want to exist. And I think one of the beautiful things is you start to stand out very easily when you just extend that grace and you care about people from a level that just because you can. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and and in line with that, you know, given we're talking about brain health, what does optimal brain health mean for you personally in the context of your journey? I think brain health for me means that in the moment, whatever you're doing, you have the capacity to show up as the version of yourself that you want to show up as. Uh, you know, brain optimization when you're sitting on the couch relaxing looks a lot different than when you're in a stressful situation. But, we, you know, we talked about that zone, really your resilience, where you where you mm -hmm. fall um in your ability to cope with stress, you know, layer on, layer on, layer on, layer on. And brain optimization really means that whatever situation you're in, you can learn to function and adapt mm -hmm. to what you need to do to thrive in that moment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, too many situations where you're put in a stressful situation and you can't regulate yourself, you don't know how to adapt in that situation, eventually you'll come across a situation that, I mean, it takes you from okay to not okay in five seconds. And you'll be like, well, I don't really know what happens. And what your nervous system is telling you that, you, you know, your brain and the way you function in space right now is telling you that you are in a very unsafe environment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously I'm way more fun when my brain's regulated. I don't know about you. <laughs> I, I am too. I am too. And I love the, the fact that you brought the, you know, situation and environment into it, because often we think, you know, when we talk about mental health, the label tends to be put on the person. But actually, in the context of brain health, we're looking at the whole system, and particularly the environmental impact that affects how our physical brain functions, how our organ functions. So um, I know that people like to um, don't often use the term brain health. What would you say that makes it super different from men mental health? I think uh, brain health really is the hardwiring of the brain, how yeah. everything interacts with each other, you know, and allows you, you know, I use the example of you would never take a convertible off-roading, right? You need to make sure that whatever you're trying to do in this world that, you know, and that's where the co-creation with a lot of these organizations comes into. What tools and resources do you have right now? Where do you want to go? And where is the gap? And for a lot of people, finding that gap is where the mental health component of it comes in. You know, if I got into a car, you know, how the engine runs, how it drives, all of that is very hard component based, right? You can change the engine, you can change the tires, you can change the feel of the interior. But the mental health component of it is how do I actually feel in it? You know, mm -hmm. how soft is the leather? You know, how, how hard is it to reach the knob to change the radio? And oftentimes mental health is is really just a surface level, you know, are you sad today? Well, if you're sad, we should talk about it. If you're overwhelmed, we should talk about it. But really it's how is the nervous system actually regulating everything on top of it? So that way, if you're feeling sad, how do we adapt? Mm -hmm. Or if you're feeling, you know, hyper-stimulated, how do we bring you back? So I think mm -hmm. mental health sometimes is you have this diagnosis, 
And this is how I feel. And this is how we fix it. And really what I'm trying to encourage people to do is to figure out, yes, embrace, I'm feeling sad today, right? Which for a lot of people is, is uh, considered abnormal. It's okay to be sad on a given day. That doesn't mean that there's a mental health crisis. But I do think, I do think, you know, normalizing the idea that we can acknowledge we're having a sad day and we can choose to go about our business and we can choose to do hard things and adapt, I think is also a big missing link from what we're doing today. So mental health is really a small portion, but a very important portion of a larger issue. How is the body regulating what's going on around it, around itself? Yeah. And how can you actually be the person you want to be when you can't always control your environment? Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. And I like, you know, I like to think that, you know, if you can't change the environment, change the environment you're in. And often we we don't necessarily draw the connection between the impact our environment is actually physically having on us at an emotional or physical or mental and a spiritual level. We may only tap into the mental aspect. We don't really understand the physical ramifications of what's going on, the the emotional ramifications of what's happening and then tie it all together with is it, you know, reaching our, are we achieving our purpose or our vision in life and how, how is the environment helping us or or really hurting us what what do you think is the biggest issue at the moment in the context of looking at um brain health in the workplace what are people are are struggling with at at the moment the most um from a brain health perspective that's a great question it really comes down to i think we're missing the mark on what it is why people are leaving, why they're disengaged, why companies feel like they have to, um, you know, overly motivate people. I think people are naturally very motivated and I think people actually want to do a great job. But foundationally, you know, if I put you in the middle of New York City, all the smells, all the sounds, all the lights, all the traffic, and you're trying to sensory problem solve, not getting hit by a car, and then, you know, your boss calls you and says, we've got a crisis. I've got 25 of your colleagues on the phone and we got to problem solve something that's never been problem solved before. That's a totally different space than I'm sitting in a quiet office. I've got some soft music on in the background. I was able to work out in the morning. I had some water. I had a protein shake. I think foundationally we're missing how do people be who they are, where their brain is functioning the way it needs to. So that way they, at these critical moments where we need their brain to be creative, to problem solve, to work well with other people, where they're set up to win, where they're not, you know, we're, I feel like we're setting people up to fail right now because, you know, companies are doing a great job with training. They're bringing in people to train. They're bringing in people to help with leadership development. And you're bringing people into a room who foundationally their brains have not been trained to function in an environment where anything can happen in the next 10 minutes. So the training may be very effective, but you're giving training to people who may not have the capacity right now to absorb it, apply it, and use it. So I think if we spend a little bit more time allowing people the capacity with the right tools, with the right intentionality to step into how do I be my best self? How do I encourage someone else to be their best self? Um, From a hardwiring standpoint, I think training becomes much easier, leadership development becomes much easier, succession plans become much easier, thinking about growth strategies becomes much easier because you've got an army of people now who are their best selves. They're the most creative, the most expansive they could possibly be. And the sky's the limit when you've got a group of people together who are thinking outside the box and are able to create something entirely different than what have been created in a highly stressful, highly unadaptive mode. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I, you know, we often talk about brain reserve from an aim and clinic perspective is understanding your level of brain reserve that you go into the situation with. So how much resilience you have in from a brain capacity to deal with a, a varying situation. I think certainly with the pandemic and the shift in working patterns and and the additional pressures that the changing in the environment has brought to some people um, particularly with the personal struggles that they may have experienced at home whether they've lost loved ones or family or friends or they're struggling with 
uh, homeschooling and all of those pressures that have stacked and they may may have uh, physically gone away uh, as it were in today at present but the but the stacking has uh, has been there over the last two or three years and so they've their brain reserve has been depleted compared to what it was prior to the pandemic um, and it's important to understand that everybody's brain reserve is going to be different and their history is different so how they got there and how they recover 100%. is individualized for that particular person well and that it doesn't feel easy when i started down the journey of really optimizing my own brain and understanding myself you know i tell this to patients i tell this to organizations i work with all the time they think that it just came natural to me. You know, I just looked forward to the first day of exercising or that every day I had a great mental health day or that I didn't struggle with a disagreement because I didn't have the mental capacity to have the conversation. And until we start normalizing the idea that you can do things that feel bad anyway and have the outcome be positive, I think we're going to continue to get what we get. So I think, you know... Once I started saying, I, I think, you know, people, well, she's just always happy. She just so always what, has what things together. your brain health journey, though? I'm sorry? When, when did your brain health journey physically start? What sort of pushed, because obviously you're a chiropractor, so what pushed you into actually focusing on brain health? You know, the wild part is uh, it really didn't actually start until my mom died. That's when the push came okay. to shove because the capacity, I had no reserve. I had no way of actually being with the grief and being with loved ones with the grief there, there, I just had no context because I hadn't prepared myself to what happens if my brain gets overloaded and I have to rethink, but I, I used to get migraines as a children or as a child. And I, um, you know, they put me on a bunch of medication. They thought I had a brain tumor. They thought I had diabetes and it really wasn't until after going through all of those really traumatic experiences, a 12 or 13 year old. And finally, my mom at the time, bless her heart, said, you know, why don't we take her to a chiropractor? You know, as a parent, you'll do just about anything to help your child feel better. And that's when I really started noticing that, you know, more holistic ways of empowering the self uh, always went out. So my chiropractor at the time, every time I would go in, there would be little nuggets that I would take away from and like percolate on. And then I'd come back and I'd ask more questions. And it really, for me, started this beautiful conversation of what it's like to lead someone else to ask questions so you can decide what your truth is. And Mm. so the closer I got to going to chiropractic school, the more I knew what my truth was, which was, I think we are capable of helping ourselves. I think our body's very smart. I think when you're holding the body underwater and it's being pulled to the bottom of the ocean, I think it's really hard to thrive. So let's allow people to remove the restrictions, empower them to thrive, and then work in a corporate space without feeling like the only option they have is to either quit or just survive until they retire. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, I think that's so true. And I think so often the traditional approach can be very dismissive of of the holistic opportunities that present themselves to people to learn how to get themselves from the bottom of the ocean, unchain the weights that someone's put on them or, or, or unlock them and, and swim to the surface and breathe again. And there's so many different ways that you you can do that. You can either choose to do it yourself personally and, and try and hack your way through the the chains and the weights that people have put on, or you can ask somebody, you can get somebody to help you um, do that for you and and help you on your journey to the surface. Well, I think asking for help is also something that's not readily encouraged. Yeah. And I think you have to embrace the journey. You know, a bunch of the episodes I've listened, I've talked about you talk about your own challenges and you know, you don't just flip a switch one day. It's a choice. And so every new, you know, every new mountain that I've climbed, I come to a plateau and I'm like, yes, right. I'm, I'm, I have arrived. I'm here. And then all of a sudden, guess what? There's just another mountain to climb and another plateau and another mountain to climb. And, you know, once you give people permission to just lean into whatever those mountains and plateaus are going to be without the judgment and just embrace it and, you know, let it be part of their journey, their story, the reason why people love them, 
you know, I have patients who come in or when I was seeing patients primarily before I pivoted into corporate, I would have corporate patients of mine who would skip their lunch hour at work to come and get adjusted because they knew all the things they did in their week. One of the things that they had to do for self-care was get adjusted. Now, do I think getting adjusted is amazing? Absolutely. Right. Do I see the coolest things happen when I adjust people? Yes, I do. But the bigger conversation is what are you doing for yourself on any given day that brings joy to your heart, that rejuvenates your soul, that allows you to go serve in a capacity, whether it's as a parent or in a, in a work environment, serve in a capacity that you're proud of yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a it doesn't have to be a long standing thing. You don't have to take an hour long bath every day or anything like that. But I found just very, uh, you know, time short things that I can do to help myself on a given day. And I'm sure you have too. You don't have four hours where you can just be like, all right, I'm going to prepare myself for my day tomorrow. And I've got four hours to do whatever I want. Nobody has that. (laughs) Nobody has that. No. And I think it's really important to know what time you need as a downtime, you know, and to block it out because so often people allow others to hijack their day. Like you mentioned with your, with your client earlier, uh, often now in the corporate space, which never used to happen before in the companies I work with, people block focus time, they block their lunch hour, they they write, do not, do not put meetings in this time window. You know, it's it's very sacrosanct for, for people because they need to recharge and reboot before they, t- you know, take on the afternoon. And I think it's it's comes almost down to respect, isn't it? It's respecting your time boundaries and respecting other people's time boundaries and also their their personal performance needs so that they can deliver what's best for the company well this is embarrassing to say but it took me until my adult life to actually figure out what boundaries were how to appropriately set them and not judge them as bad Hmm. you know and i think um in any environment, I think there's a really diplomatic way that you can set boundaries that are firm and fair. Uh, you know, my dad used to joke when we were kids, don't be messing with my babies or my budget. And, uh, <laughs> you know, all the people that he worked with knew that no questions asked if we if we needed something that we were to get patched through. I have two younger sisters and his budget. If there was ever an issue with the budget, those were the two things that non-negotiable, everything else could wait. And it really... You know, he did that beautiful balance of making sure, I mean, he had pictures all over his uh, his walls of us, embarrassing at the time. But, you know, looking back on it, he was very, he was very clear on where his priorities lied and people yeah. understood where his priorities lied and he got the job done. He always showed up to the best of his abilities for that day. And I think that people have a right to be able to say those things. I think if I'm having a rough day, I didn't sleep very well last night. I think I can still show up. And say, listen, I'm going to give 100% for what I have today. But just to be clear, it's probably different than my 100% yesterday. And I think getting it out of the way destigmatizes this idea that your best today may be different than tomorrow. And that's not, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly, you know, for those that have children and for those that have, um, people that they have to care for in whatever capacity that happens to be or other activities that encroach on their ability to get a good night's sleep. It's re- it's really important to recognise that, you know, sleep, if you don't get enough sleep, you are going to be compromised from a brain perspective because your brain needs sleep so much. To, to work properly during the day. Well, I should have an alter ego. I think we all should have an alter ego that when we don't sleep comes out. There's no way around it. You're short tempered. You're not thinking clearly. You forget things. And whether you're in the corporate environment, whether you're, you know, whether you're on vacation, you can't do everything all the time, which is why people look forward to vacation so much. 
They're not thinking about what they have to make for dinner. They're not thinking about, do they have to wash the bed sheets? They're not thinking about the excursions that they have to go travel on because it's done for them. And so one of the things that we do when we work with individuals is how do we co-create on a personal level ways that you could delegate maybe some non-essential things without terrifying you of the expense or terrifying you of losing control or anything like that. If your capacity in this direction is where you thrive the most personally and professionally, then we need to figure out what it looks like to have either a team of people or find some yeah. streamlined ways to get some help. Because if you're all, if you're always functioning at 100%, you're doing 90 miles an hour down the freeway until you run out of gas or you run out of oil, you don't have the ability to pivot when something unexpected happens. And you and I both know that unexpected things happen all the time. So we're setting people up to fail all the time when we don't give them the opportunity to give 70% on a regular basis, feel good while they do it, and then have the capacity when something comes up to have the brain power to say, I can pivot and actually be useful in this direction. Yeah. And, and I think that's so important. You know, it's so easy, isn't it, to have a whole team of people racing at 100 miles an hour, but actually no one's looking in the lane to the left or the right to see that other people are driving super fast as well. Yes. Uh, and suddenly they have a crash because <laughs> that person has to pivot into a different lane to get to where they want to go and someone else is there uh, and, they, and they block them and it becomes conflict. Well, and then... I am a much better problem solver and peacekeeper when I've slept well and I'm feeling rejuvenated today than when I got no sleep and I didn't eat breakfast. And so when you're, you know, put in a room full of people, high stakes environment, everybody's got a lot riding on this conversation. Yes, there's a certain amount of brain optimization you can do in that moment, but recognizing that you're short tempered, you're short fused, and you know, yeah. and choosing to behave differently really takes a lot of willpower that I think a lot of people need to develop. So yeah, I, you know, I love that you mentioned that because I don't think that people take the time to acknowledge what emotions are driving their behavior at, the, at any given time. And we don't tend to check in on them as much as perhaps we ought to. Maybe it's seen as too fluffy. <laughs> Um, because it comes into the sort of fluffy wellness space. But it's it it's so important that we do take that time to understand that our emotions drive everything, but our thoughts drive our emotions. And if we don't take the time to check in with our emotions and get curious, not furious with them, we don't necessarily have the power to control them because then we're a victim of the wave from the ocean of emotion, as I like to call it. And, and we're not in control of our ship like our emotional ship with a P <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and we don't have the tiller because we've we've ignored it and dived down into the galley into the lower parts of the ship uh, and paid it no attention and then become a, a victim to all of the emotional waves that they get hurtled at us either by ourselves or by other people and you end up having to dive deeper and deeper to try and avoid it and become more and more of a victim rather than getting up and looking and reading the water and going okay how can I really use this emotion to help me. And if it's not going to help me, how can I dissipate it in a way that's not going to destroy other people or myself in the process? Well, I think humor goes a long way too. That's a perfect example. <laughs> I was having, a, I would have, I was saying I was having probably a, we'll say vanilla day with, with a little bit of sprinkles, a little bit of spiciness a couple days ago and nothing had happened out of the norm, just hadn't slept great. You know, Sometimes the body just needs a recalibration day and you can't always guarantee what's going to happen in that day. And I was talking to one of my colleagues and again, I was even keeled, but people aren't stupid and very perceptive. And so she knew immediately that something was off. You know, even when I was going in with patients, even to the best of my ability, I would go in and bring everything I had that day and patients could sense that I was having an off day, even when I thought that they had no way of knowing. <laughs> and I, I, you know, we can't hide it well. well we give off the cues, don't we? We might say it, you know, verbally, but we have all of these behavioral cues that inform us of uh, otherwise. Hundred percent. And then out of nowhere, they would say something, and I went from being, you know, a curmudgeon to laughing out loud 
And it completely shifted the entire trajectory of my day because they took a minute to say, listen, she just needs a light moment. She needs a joke. She needs something that's just going to like pull her out of this loop of whatever I was going through. And it turned my whole day around. Right. And then we started joking about, you know, how we have off days and how it's okay. And then it turned something that could have taken the whole day for me to kick out of into a blip in the radar. And it shortened that span of it's going to affect my whole day to nope, it only affected a little part of it. And then maybe tomorrow it doesn't affect my day tomorrow at all because I helped to reframe the way my brain sees those types of situations. And you know how to get out of it. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It was not an overnight, it was not an overnight thing for me, but with the right support, the right tools and the endorsement of your organization, I think it's so doable. And to be honest with you, I really do think this is the future of wellness in the, in the corporate space. And I think the narrative is going to change from, you know, quiet quitting to, uh, you know, we're expanding beyond the capacity of what we ever thought was possible. And why did it take us so long to actually get up on what brain research is showing us that the brain actually can change, the brain actually can grow and actually create new synapses and can actually become something that we never thought it could become. So Mm -hmm. I really think this is a great frontier. I'm super excited about it. And I just am thankful that we, you and I get to, you know, talk about the brain in an expansive, wonderful way and still recognize the stress and limitations that life sometimes brings. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and why do you think, you know, we've had this dearth of resignations uh, in corporate America? Why do you think people are leaving their jobs at, at this time? I think social media is doing a really horrible job of convincing us that we can all just go make millions of dollars a month, you know, doing posting, whatever online. And I think people really do want to have a purpose. People mm-hmm. want to feel like they are, they're being useful. And I think people are leaving organizations, not because they're not making more money, not because the race quotient isn't happening at the rate of inflation. I think people are just finally putting their foot down and saying, I need to have a purpose and I need to feel like I'm good at something. And I need to feel like I'm empowered to do that job in a useful way. And I think to no fault of organizations own, there was a lot of crisis managing over the last couple of years. There's a lot of legalities that people felt obligated to commit to. They had a lot of people who were really concerned. And then on top of it, they had the uncertainty of what was going on in the world. I think, you know, kudos to everybody for navigating, but it's a good reminder that when we're not in a stressful crisis situation, look how much we can accomplish and what we can get done if we change the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think that people showing up to work every day do want to do a great job. I think I mentioned that earlier, but I don't think they have to start their own business. I don't think they have to quit their job and go do something different in order to live their purpose. You know, I heard someone speak one time and said, there's a thousand different ways that you could fulfill your life's purpose, right? And we don't have to be so rigid on, well, until I get to do this, then I'm not living my life's purpose. Mm. Or until I get to do this, or until this happens, I can't live my life purpose. And the narrative for so long is, if people are working in corporate, they're building your brand, which I think, why would they not want to, right? They're working in an environment where they all want to collaborate and help build your brand. But I also think that we can create a really beautiful narrative that people can live a great purpose and at the same time without quitting. At the same time. They're they're driving in the same direction. I don't think I don't think they have to be a divergent path. I think they can very much be happening at the same time. And I think beautiful things uh, get fostered when that happens. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I've had uh, people who've been on the show who um, have had this drive to to quit the jobs that they've been doing in order to become speakers. And actually it's quite hard to become a speaker and, and to make a difference in in the world without having a residual income that helps you build that profile um, to be able to turn the other one off. And often we think that, oh okay, because I've done because I've done this, I can turn everything else off and, and suddenly the the opportunities will magically appear and they don't always do that. Well, you know, that old saying, you know, the grass is not green on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. (laughs) You know, if you, if you don't 
fasten your seatbelts for that growth and learning curve. You know, say, for instance, you want to go into corporate. Say, for instance, you want to leave corporate. You have to be able to adapt. But that learning curve, if you're not prepared for what it's going to feel like, how you're how resistant you are going to be to change and recognize all those things along the way, you may be super talented in one area and you may thrive. But pivoting and shifting is not just a physical term, right? Yeah. There's a certain amount of feeling and adaptation that comes along with it. And I think the same thing for organizations, right? Any change you want to infiltrate into your organization is going to be a wave. It's going to go up. It's going to fluctuate down. And once you help people adapt to this idea that, you know, you don't just decide you're going to change a paradigm and a work environment and then go full throttle, I think that's when a lot more grace comes into the picture. And there's a lot more smaller steps that help with benchmarks, help encourage and nudge people in the right direction. Because if you want to change an organization, that means people need to change with you. And people changing requires them to understand what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like, how to look at their own past failures, their own past traumas. And it all has to work together, oftentimes not very seamlessly, with the goal of it being seamless, mm -hmm. to bring everybody to a new level. Mm -hmm. So I think between social media, um, you know, people can make a lot of money on social media. People can make a lot of money in their personal business. But I was just talking to someone yesterday who um, very ha had a very high profile job and made a ton of money and loved doing it. Wasn't, couldn't be a long-term gig um, and, you know, pivoted. And now he's making good money and he doesn't know if he wants to do it with the rest of his life for the rest of his life because his per he, he doesn't, there's no purpose. There's no calling. He gets a paycheck. Mm -hmm. He's good at it. And I think one of the things that organizations, if you can tie that purpose component to them being good at their job and then getting a great paycheck and them being able to fulfill their purpose, I think the trifecta really starts to change the way people see the way we do business. Yeah. I, I think that's so important. And coming back to your kind of car analogies, if we're, you know, if you've got the more people you have in your business, um, the more people you've got driving down the freeway. And if you've only got one person at the front that's communicating that you need to turn off or, or, on a junction, um, those people have to want to follow you in, in order to, to make that change in direction, whatever directional change that may happen to be. And if your communication is really bad, if you don't have people who really want to because they're not passionate about the message that you're sending them and they're not passionate about the redirection, then you're going to lose people because people are not going to turn off. They're not going to want to, or they're not even going to realize that they need to. And it's so important, isn't it? That when people have a, you know, we could be listening to the radio really comfy in the car, like you said, <laughs> really enjoying the journey. And because we're really comfy, we're much more aware of the surroundings. We go, Oh, look, uh, Joe in front's just turned off. I'll turn off too. Cause obviously we're following each other, but if you're too busy, being uncomfortable in that car or the car's not performing its best and, and you're distracted with everything that's going on, then you're not going to notice that someone in front has turned off and you're going to miss it. And then you're going to wonder where, the, where on earth is everybody. Hello, anybody? <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I think we need to be also more aware of is you know, if, I, we all know those people in our lives that no matter what you do, they're always a little bit cranky, right? They get enough sleep, they eat okay, they're cranky. But at the end of the day, everybody has a craving for community. Everybody yeah. has a craving to be accepted. Everybody has a craving to, you know, be appreciated. And, you know, I was just talking to someone the other day about even DE&I initiatives and this idea that, you know, the brain and everybody is so vastly different, right? We just assume that everybody has the same brain and it all functions the same way and it all thinks the same way. But when you really think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, right, this is a hard stretch, but I mean, everybody's brain, their past experiences, the way they think, their history, their heritage, where they want to go, all of those things bring a whole level of diversity that I don't think we're talking about right now either. I totally agree with you. And even neurodiversity has kind of bucketed people into there's certain, you know, mental health, what are typically mental health categories of neurodivergent people. But actually, um, we can have a whole different 
you know blend of different um neurodivergent aspects and and ultimately every single person's brain is different so we're all neurodivergent 100% and you know you can only train someone if you can reach everybody right so you know the learning curve the forgetting curve for everybody i mean it's similar my capacity is higher because i've really worked at it but there's still some days where i come across someone who recognizes me and i can't put my finger on their name to save my soul yeah so i think that you know, if you're an educator or a teacher, you have to find a way to reach different people. And I think that's one of the things as an organization, you're responsible for seeing each individual in your organization as someone who brings something different to the table, who's willing to work as a team, uh, but also may have skill sets that you didn't interview for that may end up helping benefit the team, the organization in ways that you couldn't, you can't even measure. Yeah. And if you don't create that, I totally agree. And, and, and you know, we talked earlier, didn't we, about the need to pivot uh, suddenly and deal with, a, a you know, a, a, a difficult situation where the environment has shifted and the team has to be able to do that collectively. If you don't give people that permission to be themselves and show up with themselves and all of their skill set and all of their attributes that they bring to the table, you're not going to know if that one person in the room is going to make or break the, the the pivot that you need to do if and it could be at any level you know you could you, you have some people who are extremely extremely capable in high octane environments um to 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 lead the conversation and help corral everyone because they've had it in their previous life and they've uh, uh, and they have that history of dealing with these complexities um whereas other people who may have a senior ranking role um, because they haven't had that previous experience and, uh, and mapping in their brain to know, okay, when this happens, I know I can do that, they can crumble. And I, I've, I've seen it, you know, myself personally, where you see this, this dynamic shift in the, in the team as other people step up um, to, to fill the gap that ha has been left by other leaders. Well, there's no metric for a lot of this. And I think that's where wellness has failed and brain health and mental health has failed in the past. There's no hard metric that you can bring to the C-suite and say, we accomplished our goals because mental health is, you know, 15% better than what it was before. When you can rely on other members of your team or go to them because they've got a skill that you don't have and you can rely on other people to get the higher, greater good job done. That's when mental health starts to win. That's when brain optimization starts winning because now instead of being on an island by yourself where you have to figure out all these things that you think are wrong with you that aren't wrong with you at all and you're empowered to work with other people, that's when we can start talking about other soft skills that eventually we can use as benchmarks to measure. But until we can start actually measure or discussing the idea that not every positive brain optimization um, strategy, technique, personal growth, not all of those can be benchmarked. I think, I think we're missing the larger conversation. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I'd love, I'd love to dive now into the, into the five pillars of brain health that I use to help my clients um, understand how their brain functions, which is remember by the mnemonic facts, first as for feelings, which we've talked about, actions, connections, thoughts and surroundings, which we dived into a lot on this conversation. I'd love to know for you in the context of actions, what's the most rewarding or fulfilling thing you've ever done? Um... I, I got to go on a mission trip to Thailand, uh, so I was able to take my doctoral skills and work wow. with people who don't speak the language. I don't have the clinical uh, support that I normally have or the tools, physical tools, and it was cool to see every one of them that I was able to work with got off the table smiling, and the people that were there who I, I got to work with them at first, I mean, these are people who have everything from tuberculosis to you know, other ailments, they have no access to healthcare or perhaps clean water. You know, I was able to serve them. Most of the time they don't get to get loved and served. And these people were so honored by the work that we were doing that they stuck around and helped to translate for me. And wow. they were smiling. I was smiling. They felt empowered. I felt empowered. I mean, imagine going to a foreign country and every piece and attribute that you know how to do your job 
um, and connect, you know, because part of my job is connecting with people, building rapport with people. All of that was like tossed up in the air and you're now in front of people who, who you don't know how to communicate with. And there was a short learning curve and I took a deep breath, but it was really cool to be able to see how essentially people who don't know how to communicate with each other, don't really know what I'm doing, don't really know, know how I'm there to support them. All were smiling, engaging with each other and thriving. It was really yeah. cool. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, comes back to how we communicate, which we talked about earlier is, you know, often we think that language is the most important communication tool. And it isn't. It's actually how we how we express ourselves in the, in the context of our whole person and how we leverage the surroundings to step into our best self in that moment and show, you know, show people with an open heart and an open mind that you can embrace them and support them and nurture them and help them grow just as we would if we're, you know, effectively parenting is is putting your arms around people and going, you know, we're going to get through this, we're going to help you and you're going to, you know, reach a new level that you never thought possible, but you don't actually have to physically say that. <laughs> you, you just have to, you just have to show, just have to show up and make people feel valued and cared for and capable, and you can achieve extraordinary things without necessarily um, having the language doing it. And it just actually just dropped into my mind when I I went to Japan years ago um, to give a conference, and I was one of the few women at the time and uh, I was the last speaker at the conference and oh there were about 600 Japanese pe- people in the room and everybody was really like down in energy because they've been bored to death by many of these scientific presentations and I thought how can I elevate the energy level in the room so I asked everybody to stand up and sit down again and, and at the time this is about 15-20 years ago um a female asking many male Japanese people to stand up and, you know, giving an order, as it were, um, was not commonplace. Um, and, and, the, and they all did it and sat down, but hardly anybody understood what I was asking them to do. But the energy in the room lifted and, I, it, you know, it was a great co- conversational topic afterwards um, to, you know, to to say oh thank you for you know having the bravery to do it and to and to bring the room together to get everyone to stand up well you dare to do something different and I think that's really what people want permission to do is dare to do something different and be brave to not have that certainty on what the outcome is going to be and trust that it will figure itself out so kudos exactly and I think it's so important that you know as you said that we do we do have that daring daring to be different and daring to embrace other people's um, ways of doing things and acknowledging that everybody is different and we can all work together to to build a greater good. I, I want to dive into just a couple more questions. Um, what, what do you think the two um, biggest ideas that have been written about recently are, are limiting potential in business in the context of brain health or just in the context of business in general? I think number one, um, that employees are not motivated. Okay. Um, historically, they've needed gym memberships. They've needed 15% off coupons off of smoothies. They've needed all of that. Uh, I don't, the, the people that I come across that uh, work in organizations, small, large, are kind, they're driven, they very interesting, um, they're, they're very motivated. Um, and I think sometimes the, the frame on articles, not per se from industry leaders, but the frame on articles is people are leaving because they're lazy. And, you know, we already touched on that earlier in the conversation. I think that that's absolutely not true at all. Uh, the second thing is that we can't personalize health, wellness, well-being in the workplace because it's too expensive. I have, I have seen, I have proven time and time again that we can actually 100% treat people, care for people on an individual basis uh, without it being something that becomes a full-time job or something so uh, monetarily expensive that there's no way to move forward with it. Mm, mm. I think that's so important. And what would you say, um, given this show is all about brain health and unchaining your pain, what would you say to any employee who's really struggling with um, 
the work environment that they're in and showing up as their best self what what advice would you give to anyone who's in that space and just not feeling that they're fulfilling their potential well I would say before you do anything else is make sure you're coloring on your own paper so even in my own circumstances I find it's easy to delegate something that's really your responsibility, your ownership, your growth moment. You're passing off as someone else's problem, someone else's responsibility, someone else's fault. So I had, you know, that was that was probably one of the last pieces that really kind of built my own brain health was what things am I avoiding doing? that are actually causing the very things that are wanting me to either leave my job or to be unhappy or to not fulfill my purpose. And it was very, I went through a period where I coloring on your own paper is a very um, interesting and challenging place to be because you start to see that a lot of the things that you tried to blame on other people, a lot of the situations that didn't get handled appropriately, you tried to delegate that ownership to someone else. And it really wasn't until I started coloring on my own paper and taking responsibility for everything that happened, good, bad, and different, how I felt, how I acted, and stop making it someone else's problem, fault, issue, uh, was when I was really actually able to have a clean slate. So until you can actually say from your own perspective that you've done everything you can to get yourself to the place where you're showing up authentically as yourself 100%, I think the bigger conversation is how do you get yourself there? But once you get yourself there and you're like, I'm authentically being myself, then you have to sit here and say, is this space going to help foster my growth with some honesty or knowing how authentic I've been? It's not the right environment for me. Then that's probably a different conversation. But I think people are too quick to pull the plug. I think they're going to, you know, you, you go everywhere with yourself. So you're going to leave one organization and you're going to say, well, I just don't want this job and I don't like this and it's not fulfilling my goals. And you're going to take your same self without a, without any growth or self-actualization or anything like that to a different company. You know, and I've come across people, even myself included, right? You know, I certainly am on my own growth trajectory where 10 years into this hopping process, you know, they're realizing all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, it may have more to do with me than it has to do with my outside environment. And uh, that uh, that green light aha moment, I don't care if it takes you 10 years, 20 years, I don't care if it takes you your entire career, right? Once you have that aha moment, that's when everything starts to get reframed and look different. Yeah, and, and I, I totally concur. And I think it's really important that we do that deep personal work, it, even if we think it's the environment, even if, you know, we think we've, we've turned the mirror on ourselves and uh, and looked at ourselves, I still think it's really important before you move to a new role that, that you take the time to do some personal development and, and get some coaching for yourself. Um, well, because you, you uncover things when you've got a guide with you, they tell you and it's a safe environment and you're happy to be yourself with that person, that coach, which hopefully it is, otherwise you need to get a, a different coach. Um They'll they'll bring things to the surface that perhaps you you haven't been able to do or you haven't realized that you were doing in the first place. Well, and that's why uh, when you you know, when you get promoted to a new role, oftentimes you get promoted for the skill set that you had in your previous role. But the skill set you're going to need at the next level are not those skills. Right. And so there's a there's a disconnect between you're continuing to grow as a leader, the skills that you need to have. And a lot of times there's not a training out there that you can just throw someone into to say, it. once you do this training, you're going to be well equipped to handle this new level. Part of being a leader requires you to now step into the role of what do I need to do to show up as a better version of myself so I can lead a team of people to help become better versions of their self. Yeah, yeah, I I, I so agree. And I, I, I can really relate to it because I've had lots of clients who've wanted to step up to the next level, but not not thought about what does that level look what do I look like to step into that space and how how do I need to show up now in order to be at that next level when when that next level hits rather than firefighting the situation is is stepping into it earlier is often an easier transition than it is when you when you just get launched into it so preparing yourself for the for, for the sure same thing with being a parent same thing with being a significant <laughs> other 
same thing with just being a good human being, right? Like we're always, I, you know, I found myself in situations. I'm like, how on earth did I get myself in this situation? Right. No fault of my own. I'm in a situation that's uncomfortable, perhaps toxic. And you have to give yourself permission to say, what is, how do I step into a new normal for myself where I learn something from the situation without gleaning it as bad or, you know, this shouldn't have happened or judging ourselves for situations that, you know, really are just learning opportunities rather than points of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Dr. Sarah, really love this conversation. It's been so enlightening. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people get hold of you? What's the best way for people to find out more about what you do? So they can book a call with me on www.drdrsarahweedon.com. You know, my team and I love engaging with organizations who want to do things different. And obviously, you know, social media presence, being able to engage with people in a much more casual way is a huge way to do that. So. So thank you. And thank you uh, so much for sharing your wisdom and talking about brain health optimization, which I absolutely love. Um, remember everyone this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain you are not stuck with the brain you have you have the power to make it better and dr sarah's kindly been here to show us how dr sarah thank you so much you are a delight i hope you have a fantastic rest of your day (laughs) thank you thank you